Maybe if you'd open your Bibles at 1 Samuel, and we're going to read chapter 16. And so it's already been mentioned, the subject of the conference is David and the different stages in David's life. And so the first one are the early years, uh, the valley experience. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll read it in its entirety and then we'll consider some things from it. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valour, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, 
for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we bow in your presence, we rejoice that we do so through Jesus Christ, your Son, one with you and very God. And we praise you, Lord, in Jesus Christ, you have reconciled us to yourself, that we stand holy and blameless in your sight, free from accusation, that we come with confidence before the throne of grace. Dear Father, as we bow in your presence, we praise you that we are not alone tonight. We praise you, you are with us by your Spirit who is one with you and who is God. And we praise you, Father, that by him, Lord God, you can open eyes and ears and hearts and minds. By him, Lord God, you can make humble speech powerful. And we pray, Father, that tonight you would speak by a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Dear Father, as we bow, we humbly ask that, Lord, you would bind Satan, that, Lord God, you would allow us to hold up shields of faith to extinguish flaming arrows, that you would enable us to focus upon your word and upon Christ. And we pray, Father, that we would be those who would sit at your feet and learn from your word. And we pray, Lord God, we would leave a people encouraged and blessed. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever considered Cinderella. I know Queen Cinderella, she had a fairy tale palace, beautifully manicured gardens, wonderful gowns, an adoring public. Cinderella had it all. And how did she get there? She, she came from cinders and ashes, as Thomas the Tank Engine would say. And she rose to being queen of a land far away in a time long ago. She had a wicked mother, a stepmother, three envious sisters, a quiet, submissive father, all conspiring against her to keep her in servitude and slavery, to keep her hidden. And it seems an improbable feat that she could rise to be queen. Almost the stuff of fairy tales. And of course it was a fairy tale. But in this passage about David, we see something even more Wonderful. We see something even more improbable. David rising from complete obscurity to one day becoming the king of Israel. There were some similarities between Cinderella and David. While their families were away banqueting or at the ball, they were attending their duties. David was looking after the sheep, Cinderella maybe duties in the house. Other similarities... Neither David nor Cinderella's family spontaneously mentioned them when before the king or before Samuel. And both, you know, in these stories were unknown to the land, unknown to the nation, and unknown to the king. But there the similarities stop. Because David's task in becoming a king, as I said, was greater than Cinderella's task in becoming a queen. David looked healthy, young, rugged, like any young man. Cinderella, she looked like a princess. Easier for Cinderella. David had to compete with seven kingly-looking brothers. Cinderella only had to compete with three ugly-looking sisters. Cinderella only had to slip her foot into a glass slipper. But David was a man 
who had to be after God's own heart. And David didn't have a fairy godmother, talking rats, talking mice, or a frog. His task was much harder. David was going to be king. And it was all the result of Saul. Saul had started so promisingly, but there came a point where he shifted his faith from God and fell into more religious observance. There came a point where he stopped serving the Lord and started serving mammon. There came a point where he loved the wealth of the Amalekites more than obedience to God. And in that moment, God rejected him and acted decisively, acted swiftly, and acted accurately to choose David to be the next king. You know, it wasn't any small test. It wasn't any small qualification process. There was a rigorous process that David had to go through to become the man after God's own heart, to be shown to be that. And so there are three things that are worth considering. The adverse environment that David grew up in, worth considering the rigorous examination that David went through, and the qualification at the end that David was given. And those are the three things that we're going to consider tonight. The adverse conditions or environment, the rigorous examination, and the qualification that was given. I was um, contacted recently by the BBC in Northern Ireland. And so the BBC had become aware of my public aspiration to complete for Ireland in the 100 metres um, in London and uh, next year. And so, so the phone man asked me if at the qualification trials, if they could come along and film uh, my qualification of 10. So I was, I was very happy for the publicity. It might get me some sponsorship. And so I said, by all means. And, um, and so we're going to have a wee look at the, the footage from the BBC about uh, my qualification attempt to get to London. Now, if we have some signed as well. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it. Hi, Noel. Thanks for this opportunity to, um, to just say something to the BBC. You know, I've heard the call to go to the Olympics in London. Can't wait for 2012. And um, I know what the qualification time is, and I'm ter- determined today I'm going to beat it. I'll see you in 10 seconds. You don't realise just how gutted I was um, that I didn't qualify for London 2012 after that effort. And, you know, after much soul searching and sports counselling, um, it became apparent that I wasn't running under the best of conditions. Um, apparently, um, taking my job, my hobbies, my family, my phone, my music may have all contributed adversely to my performance in that 100 metres. You know, David grew up in adverse circumstances. I sometimes wonder as a parent how it's possible to raise godly children in our, in our society today. 
I have two children, Hannah's eight, Joel's five. And, you know, at home we teach them the Bible. At church we teach them the Bible and they go out into society and the society tries to undo all of that. At home we teach them the sanctity of marriage. We teach them marriage between man and woman. We teach them marriage till death do we part. Not that they're going to get married or are contemplating it soon. But, but you teach them that and you, you teach them that model and they go into the classroom and they're taught about other family structures and they see other family structures and other families broken. And what you're trying to do is almost being undone. In the home you try and use sanctified speech. And then they go to the playground in the park and they're surrounded by foul speech and filth. How can you raise godly children? How can you be godly in a society like we have today? And yet when we look at the life of David, we see a young man in an adverse environment being extremely godly and being qualified as a man after God's own heart. How do, I know, how do we know it was ungodly? Why was Saul appointed? Samuel's sons, the judges of Israel, were dispensing injustice for bribes. And when Saul, he started so promisingly, but very quickly he substituted godly leadership for religious observance. And at the same time, a godless priesthood was in the ascendancy. Saul had surrounded himself with priests who were descended from Eli. A priesthood that God, a line that God had terminated. And things were so very bad that there was no longer any communication between the government and the prophet of the day. Saul and Samuel didn't see each other anymore. Things were terrible. And yet in this circumstance, David came forth. It is by grace we are saved. It is by grace we are sustained. And God's grace is irresistible. And God can raise up godly people in a wicked society. And he's doing that today. He is a great God. But here's the thing. Within that grace, we have responsibility. I'm sure there was much mischief that David could have been getting up to in Bethlehem. But in this passage, we don't find David getting up to mischief in Bethlehem. In this passage, we find David out on his own looking after the sheep. He had responsibility. And we have responsibility as well. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tell us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we are to throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and run that race with endurance with our eyes fixed on Christ. God saves by grace. God sustains us by grace. But let's not become entangled. Within that grace, let's throw off everything that hinders. Those were the adverse conditions, much like ours, that David grew up in. I was, as I said, truly gutted that I didn't qualify. And as I said, I, I made adjustments, I made changes uh, to qualify, to meet the standard to get to London 2012. I saw a sports psychologist, I got a coach, I changed my diet, I shared the job and uh, the friends and all those various things and focused on qualifying for London 2012. And hopefully 
We'll see that now. Well, no, I'm really sad about that last effort. I'm obviously bringing my friends along, my job, my occupation, all my music hobbies and things like that. It must have slowed me down. I've sacrificed all those things. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to qualify for London 2012. See you in nine and a half seconds, no. Well, I haven't got the time yet, and like he said, my sponsors just do it. I'm sure I have. Oh, here it comes up in the clock now. Oh, I just didn't do it. What am I going to do to qualify for London 2012? See you next time. What really breaks my heart is that I thought I was running there, and it looks like a fast walk. <laughs> But I was rigorously examined and was not able to meet the standard for the 100 metres in London. And so we have now in this chapter as well evidence that David was rigorously examined by the Lord to see what sort of man he was. You know, if we consider the passage, man, does, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart if we think about what David himself wrote in Psalm 139, you have searched me and you know me. You know my down sitting and my uprising. You know my thoughts afar off. You know the words in my tongue before I have even spoken them. What an examination God is able to do of a man. What an examination David himself received. And so the first thing I think to note in this passage is, when Jesse is asked, do you have any more sons? And he replies, yes, there's David. He's tending the sheep. You know, this says something about David's character. We don't know whether David was sent to look after the sheep after the family was summoned, or if he was already tending the sheep when the family was summoned and didn't know about it. But that's where he was. And even though David wasn't with his father, his father was confident about where he was, and he was confident about what David was actually doing. He was alone, but he knew where his son was, and he knew what he was doing. If my son is alone, I have no idea where he is, I have no idea what he's doing, and my heart is filled with fear. But not so with Jesse, and not so with David. I find it incredible sometimes what people do when they're alone. When the supervisor leaves. We've all been in the classroom. The teacher's got up. The teacher's walked out. The pens are put down. The chatter starts. It's happened. It's a PE class, a physical education class. Normally when the physical education teacher is there, it's an arduous, long, sweaty run, cross country, whatever. If the physical education teacher's not there, it's a gentle stroll along the, around the block back to, back to class. For those of my friends who are scientific supervisors, when they're there, 
By and large, their postdocs, their undergraduate students are there until five o'clock. But when they leave early to go to a meeting, very often those undergraduate students, postgraduate students are only five minutes behind. When people are without supervision, when people are alone, very often they behave very differently to how they are in public and to how they are under supervision. But it was not so with David. He was alone, but his father knew where he was and his father knew what he was doing. There was a consistency between his public life and his private life. And where there's a dichotomy there, where there's a split there, where there is inconsistency there, it's hypocrisy. And the Lord hates hypocrisy. But David was a man of whom it could be said his public life was an extension and a reflection of his private life. He was a man of integrity. And so the Bible says in Psalm 78 of David, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep he brought him, to be the shepherd of his people Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. David was consistent. I wonder how we are when we are alone. Is our public persona a performance? Are we one thing before the crowd, but another thing on our own? When you see me standing here, you probably have made various assumptions about what I'm like. You may have made assumptions about what my home life is like. Angelic. I assure you it's not. You may have made assumptions about what my quiet times or my prayer life is like. Equally, I make such assumptions about you. But is your public persona consistent with your private life? Do those two things tally? Is there hypocrisy there? If there is, let's repent of it. Let's be men of integrity, just as David was a man of integrity. That's the first thing God's examination reveals about David. But the second thing his examination reveals about David is his humility. You know, it's remarkable when you read the story of Joseph. And Joseph has his dreams. And he dreams about his 11 brothers bowing down to him. And then he has a dream where his 11 brothers and his mother and father bow down to him. And some would have us believe that Joseph boasts about how everyone will bow down to him. But what about David? David's the only one absent from the banquet. And when Samuel realizes that David's not there, he said, Nobody sit. Let's not start until David arrives. David was the guest of honor. And when David arrived in front of those who were present, the elders and the important people in Bethlehem, David was anointed. He would be the next king of Israel. And what's remarkable about this is he didn't go home and say to his brothers, do this for me and I will look kindly upon you when I am the next king of Israel. I am going to be the next king of Israel. Do this and do that for me. There was no bragging. There was no boasting. But rather when Saul wants David, where is David? 
It says in the passage that David was looking after the sheep. Find me your son who is with the sheep. He was a man of humility. And that's the type of examination that God wants to find in us. Not people vying for position, not people vying for power, not people concerned about being first. He wants us to be a humble people, ready and willing to serve him. David was being examined and he had integrity, he had humility, but David was also an extremely skillful young man. You know, I can look back at my life, all those many, many, many years. I can look back at my life and I can think yesterday of the time I squandered. I can think of last week how much time I squandered. The past year, how much time I've squandered. Since I was saved, how much time I have squandered on silly things. And if I had used that time more wisely, how much greater would my knowledge of Scripture be? How much more able would I be in using Scripture to God's glory? What additional skills might I have in oration? In musical performance, in football, in running, I have wasted so much time. And it's amazing how undisciplined we can be on our own with our time when there's no external influence pressuring us to do something. But what of David? David was a young man who would go out into the fields, out into the valleys, who would look after the sheep, He looked after those sheep caringly and tenderly. But there must have been a lot of idle time as well, as those sheep lay on green pastures beside still waters. And what did he do? He practiced. He practiced the lyre. He wrote psalms. He practiced with his sling. He utilized his time and he became skillful and useful for the Lord in the tasks that God would one day use him to do. And so Psalm 78, the passage we read a wee minute ago, also says about him, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. With skillful hands he led them. Skill does not magically appear. Skill has to be developed through practice. Through redeeming the time that we have. Through using it wisely. And that's the type of people that we should be. People who aren't resting on some supernatural working. We desire that God will use us supernaturally. He will use us powerfully. But that responsibility that we must use within his grace. We must develop ourselves. We must become skillful people with his word in conversation, in witnessing, in teaching, in all those things, just as David was. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of humility. He was a man skillful. But maybe most importantly of all, David was a man who was the Lord's servant. He was a man who was the Lord's servant. Psalm 78 verse 70 He chose David his servant. 
David was already the Lord's servant as he was looking after the sheep. A servant knows his master and David knew the Lord. A servant knows his master's will and David knew the Lord's will and sought to do it. A servant performs the Lord's will to please his master. And David performed the Lord's will to glorify his Lord. He was already the Lord's servant. And how is it with us? Are we, do we know the Lord? Do we know the Lord's will? Do we spend time meditating in prayer and the study of God's word to determine his will? Are we those people who so earnestly desire to glorify God that we jump at the opportunity to do God's will as David did? This is what we should be. And as God looked past the outward appearance and as God looked at the heart, this is what God saw. This is what the Lord saw in David. He was not serving public expectation. He was not serving a UBM leader. He was not serving a YL leader. He was not serving the elders in his church or the synagogue. He was serving the Lord in everything he did. It was real. It was vital. It was fresh. And that's how it should be with us. God examined him. And that's how it should be with us. Quality assurance, isn't it great? Quality assurance is the process where you test something to see if it is what it says it is, to see if it does what it's supposed to do. Ron Seal does exactly what it says in the tin. And so in the quality assurance process, you'll paint the fence, you'll soak the fence, you'll let the fence bake in the sun, you'll walk on the fence, you'll kick the ball against the fence. Will the coating last? Is it genuine? There's quality assurance. And in God's examination, in the Lord's examination of David, he found him to be humble, he found him to be a man of integrity, he found him to be skillful, redeeming the time, he found him to be his servant, and he did a quality assurance test on David. David just didn't lead his sheep to green pastures. He didn't just lead his sheep beside still waters. David faced the bear, bears. David faced the lion, lions. I wonder how we are when we are sometimes challenged by something so fearful. How we're challenged when, how how we respond when we have to rise to the challenge of speaking to our family, speaking to our friends. Speaking to a teacher or a lecturer, it's very easy when such things come along to shrink or to shrivel or to wither in the face of such a challenge. And don't we feel terrible? Don't we feel ashamed when we do shrivel away from such a challenge? One of the greatest challenges we'll have to face is disease and death. And it's fascinating as a doctor sometimes to see the patient who professes Christ come in and see how they respond to the challenge of facing death. And many wither. Many shrivel at the prospect. God graciously sustains them. But they shrivel at the prospect. But a few, 
a few rise to that challenge. A few gloriously demonstrate their faith and their hope and their joy in the Lord. And that is manifest in the most marvellous peace in the face of disease and in the face of death. What was David's response in the face of the lion, in the face of the bear? And we read that in chapter 17. In chapter 17 and verse 34. And David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me. And we won't read any more because I don't want to step on anybody's toes tomorrow. David did not shrink. David did not shrivel. David faced that challenge with faith in the Lord. And in that circumstance... He proved that what he said publicly was not just fine talk. It was who he was. That what he appeared to be publicly was not just pretend or pretense. It was who he was. His private life was manifest in his public public persona, in his outward appearance. And his outward appearance reflected that. And that's what God desires in us. He was quality assured God tested him and God proved him to be all these things we've read of. A man of integrity, a man humble, a man the Lord's servant, a skillful man. And the wonderful thing is this, David rose to face that challenge. God proved him. And David could leave with confidence that God had proved himself. Because he says, God delivered me. And Job could make the same wonderful, realize the same wonderful thing. Job was tested. His wealth was taken. His family was taken. His flesh was smitten. He would not curse God. And at the end of it all, he was proved to be genuine. He was proved to be real. And God revealed himself. And God proved himself. To rise to a challenge proves us. It quality assures us. But it gives us tremendous confidence and strength because at the same time God proves himself. And that's a wonderful thing to know as we go on to face further challenges and greater challenges. David quality assured. David tested. What a rigorous examination David had. God didn't just look at the outward appearance. He looked at the heart. He searched David and he knew David. And then he gives a qualification. I'm going to show my last attempt at qualifying for the Olympics. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, when I was younger, so much younger than today. 
With all the help in the world, I could never qualify for the Olympics. I tried a moving walkway, I tried gravity, I was pulled by a car, to the tremendous amusement of those watching, and I could not qualify for the Olympics. But a qualification is a very good thing. Wouldn't that be an awful 100 metre final if people like me were in it? There would be no competition, it would be such poor quality, such poor entertainment. You wouldn't want a lawyer without qualification. What confidence could you have he was able to defend you? You wouldn't want a doctor without qualification. What, what confidence could you have that he was competent in his care? Qualification is an important thing. And at the end of this thorough, rigorous examination process of David, God gives David this qualification. He is a man after my own heart. And there is no higher qualification to achieve and to possess. I recently had to do a job interview. And uh, the first part of the job interview, you talk about your CV. And you talk about what you've achieved and what your qualifications are. And that bit's all fairly simple. It's already there in black and white. It's really a reading exercise. But the second part of the interview was a little bit more grueling. And the first question was, if you come to our hospital, how will you improve the service? How will you improve the service? David was a man after God's own heart. If he became king of Israel, how would he improve Israel? David defeated all the enemies. David established Israel's borders. David provided godly leadership. David brought in the most golden era that Israel has ever known. What a difference a man after God's own heart can make. The second question I was asked, if you identified a failing colleague, what would you do? A colleague who was underperforming, what would you do? Saul was an underperforming colleague of David's. David respected him. He never raised his hand against the Lord's anointed. David endeavoured to soothe Saul. David endeavoured to restore Saul. What a man. What can a man achieve who is after God's own heart? If you come into this hospital, how will you continue to ensure your continual professional development how did David ensure his continual professional development David never forgot his first love he never forgot the Lord and if we could cry with David every day morning, noon and night one thing I seek, this is what I ask that I may dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life, 
how sweet prayer would be. How sweet Bible study would be. How sweet fellowship would be. How sweet God's service would be. God, we look at the outward appearance. And you all seem like angels. But God looks at our hearts. And if our hearts fall short of our public appearance, let's repent of it. Let's be genuine. Let's be true. Let's aspire to be like David. Thank you.